Good evening. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. Uh, those of you who are guests today, again, I want to thank you for making us a part of your Sunday. We really hope that you feel at home. Uh, thank you for joining us. Before I get into the word, I want to give one last highlight of our Every Nation Biz Plenary coming up this coming Saturday. We have our very own uh, Annie McWalter, CEO of Hope Factory, who will be uh, speaking on what's your story. And so if you are in the workplace or you started a business or you believe that in any way this will be suitable or uh, uh, useful for you, you want to sign up today. Last chance to sign up before Saturday. So I hope to see you there. It is Mother's Day today. That's right. Well, I think you can do better. Hey. That's right. Yeah, happy Mother's Day indeed. Normally, uh, I'm a little bit nervous when I preach. Today, I am super nervous. And I'll tell you why. Um, if you preach a bad Father's Day sermon uh, on Monday, they take you out for coffee and they laugh at you. But if you preach a bad Mother's Day sermon, no one has lived to ever tell what happens when you preach a bad Mother's Day sermon. I intend to be alive after tonight. And um, I do want to say uh, parenting is hard. Uh, it is a privilege, it is a joy, but it is hard. Hard to somehow maintain an authentic reality of where you are in your own life and yet be present at every single season of your children's lives. Be present uh, with love, with care, with discipline with foresight and insight in their lives, fully aware of what God wants to do in their souls. It is a hard thing to be a parent. And when we honor our parents, the Bible actually tells us that uh, if you honor your parents, you will have long life. It is the only uh, 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 commandment that comes with a promise, which I think is kind of a threat. Um, <laughs> if you honor your parents, you will have long life. So what happens if I don't honor them? I don't know. You figure it out for yourself. Uh, happy 35th birthday. <laughs> so honor them so you can have a 36th. Um, but today, we really want to honor the mothers in the house. And um, there's one particular person I want to talk about today in the Bible. Um, she's often not given, in my opinion, the honor that she deserves. She's a mother and she never chose to be a mother. She, she was pressed beyond what she thought she was supposed to do and ended up having to be a mother and figuring out for herself what it meant to be a mother. The story is sensitive to me because in many ways it reminds me of my own mother who uh, coincidentally um, called me when I was born. She named me Ishmael. And today I want to talk to you about a lady called Hagar. Hagar most often uh, is referred to in light of someone else. She's never seen by herself. She's referred to in light of Abraham or in light of Sarah or in light of Ishmael or in light of Isaac. She's never really given her moment in history to, to be seen for who she is apart from everybody else around her. So I really believe that there is a lot to learn from the life of Hagar. And she had first-hand experience in learning what it is to be a mother. Today, I want to look at three things in Hagar's life. 
Three things in Hagar's life, three things, uh, three areas rather, that the Lord used to train Hagar to be a mother. And the reason why I really love uh, Hagar's story is that you'll notice in all these areas, Hagar wasted nothing. She gave her best all the time. She wasn't perfect at all. She had flaws, but she gave her best to her child all the time. And the reason I believe the Bible calls us to honor our parents, by the way, is not because they're perfect. But it's because God has chosen to use them to bring you into the world. So even if your parents have missed it many a times, they still deserve your honor. Because somehow, in a timeless space, God thought in his mind that this woman is what you needed in your life. And so still in that moment, and with all the tension that you might feel regarding what, how you experienced your mother, it's still worthwhile to say, I honor you. Because God chose you to give birth to me. And so, three areas that God teaches Hagar to be a mother. One, she, he teaches Hagar to be a mother in a broken world. Two, teaches Hagar to be a mother in a lonely desert. Three, teaches Hagar to be a mother by the well of God's presence. Three places. I want to speak specifically to mothers today, but I really believe that this message is for all of us. That God will take us to these three places. A broken world, a lonely desert, and the well of God's presence. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 21, and we'll read together. I'll read it for you. A few verses today. It's going to be quite a number of them. I'll give you a break from standing so you, you can stand in your heart. All right, here we go. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next day, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and set her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Bathsheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shoot away, for, for she thought, I cannot watch my boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up. Take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and and gave the boy a drink. Father, thank you for your word. May your word fill us this evening. 
May your spirit fill us this evening. I pray for the grace to not only hear your word, but the grace to obey it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> about a few chapters before this, God visits Abraham. Abraham is about 75 years old. God rocks up in his life. He says, Abraham, I know you old, but I'm not done with you yet. In fact, I've got one more chapter left to give you in your life. This chapter is going to involve your inheritance blessing the nations of the world. Abraham goes, Lord, I see what you're saying, but I don't have my own son. I don't have an heir. I only have this servant by the name of Eliezer from Damascus. Surely this inheritance that you want to give to the nation is somehow going to be lost in this servant uh, called Eliezer. God says, don't worry, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham goes, what, me? God says, yes, you. Though you're 75, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham runs off, goes to his wife, Sarah, and says, Sarah, guess what? The Lord has told me he's going to give us a son. So let's get with it. <laughs> 25 years go by, no son. Stuck with a promise that seems to be stuck in heaven. Waiting for the promise to come to life. 25 years. There is absolutely nothing that will draw out your insecurities more than waiting for a promise. Trust me. Ask Andrew LaRue two years ago, waiting to see what the Lord will do. But in that moment of your insecurities coming before the surface of his glory, somehow he does something with them. He allows them to be exposed because he wants to replace your insecurities for his presence. And in the midst of us trying to run away from the things that we are most insecure about, he allows the promise to linger so that we might come to him and go, I can't handle this anymore. I am completely struggling. 25 years they're waiting for a promise. I don't know how long you're waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, but 25 years they waited for a promise. What I figure is that God doesn't care that much about time and how long you wait. He cares about how much you are willing to obey him. You, you want your waiting time to be less? Obey him. Obey him. Obey him. Didn't take Jesus... Uh, a hundred years to change the world just took him 35 because he obeyed. He, he did everything that he had said, said everything that his father had said. He obeyed. You want to fast track your life? Obey. But I want you to know, even though you're obeying, he will still allow the elastic of your life to be pulled only by his hands. You don't have it within you to pull the elastic of your life. You need to allow him to do what he wants to do through you. And as painful as it might be to wait, trust me, you want the fruits of waiting. Because the Bible says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And so, about 12 years in, Sarah goes, I can't take it anymore. She, go, he, she goes to Abraham and says, listen, maybe this promise was meant to be fulfilled through this slave of mine. Her name is Hagar from Egypt. Why don't you get married to her and maybe when you sleep with her, she will give birth to the promise that we are supposed to have. Imagine for a moment, Sarah walking around the house and someone else is pregnant with a promise. Have you ever had that? You keep walking around, you know what the Lord has told you, but it seems like someone else has what he had told you you would have. 
And you're trying your level best to not be offended, trying your level best not to be hurt, but it's hard to not see how pregnant the other person is with your promise. So Sarah is in a bit of an odd situation. And as they are in this home environment, she begins to say to, 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 to Hagar, do you mind cleaning my shoes? And Hagar goes, oh, I, I can't bend. Look, look, at, look how big my stomach is, though. Now, no, no, anyway, let me leave that. Sarah gets upset. And she goes to the husband and says, do you realize what you've just done? Here's what Abraham's mistake was. When Sarah came to her and said, hey, I think you should sleep with Hagar, Abraham just went, well, okay. (laughs) Here's a problem. Abraham reacted to Sarah's emotions and didn't listen to Sarah's heart. He reacted to emotions, but he missed the fact that his wife was trying to tell him, Abraham, I don't feel enough for this promise. I need you to look at me as your wife and tell me you are enough for me. You are enough for the promises that God has given us. You are what we need. And he missed the opportunity. He missed the opportunity to hear his wife's heart and respond to the cry of her heart was, was just to be seen by her husband. Missed it. He reacted to the emotions. Instead of washing dishes with joy, he washed dishes with sadness. That was just for my wife. I'm just... <laughs> by the way, I'm washing dishes these days. Some of you have been, some of you have been asking me. I am. Um, yeah, that was great. Last month I did it. It was amazing. Uh, <laughs> nothing is wasted in my household. Um, Abraham missed the moment. And sometimes I think we can all miss the moment. We can think that God is telling us to do something. We hear his words, but we miss his heart. And therefore, we end up being angry in our obedience rather than being joyful. Because we think he's trying to restrict us. And because we fail to listen to his heart, we've missed the fact that he's trying to protect us. That his commands, his instructions are for our benefit. But we just need to listen long enough to hear his heart. Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar now need to make a family out of this situation. He grows up five years, 10 years, 13 years. Can you imagine for a moment the commotion in that house, the tension in that house? Slave woman, the slave owner, the husband, and this call, this this weird call of God's promise and and all of them still feel like something is not entirely right. I know Ishmael is here. Think for a moment what it feels like to be Ishmael. Born into this environment that you never chose and you still know that every now and again, Sarah or Abraham or even Hagar keeps reminding you through a comment that you are not the one that they were waiting for. And somehow you need to grow up in this environment, hoping that someday someone will go, hey, you are my son, I'm so pleased with you. But everybody is still waiting, waiting for the promise, and you are stuck in the middle of their waiting period. That's Ishmael. Chaos. And in this space, God begins to teach Hagar what it is 
what it will take to be a mom. And he starts off by teaching her from the place of a broken world. Hear me. We live in a broken world. There is no mother in this room who has parented a child in a perfect situation. And there is no mother-to-be in this room who will ever parent a child in a perfect situation. Our world is broken. And Isaiah 24 verse 5 tells us how the world became, became broken. Here's what it says. It says, the earth suffers for the sins of its people, for they have twisted God's instructions, violated his laws, and broken his everlasting covenant. Do you want to know why the world is broken? It's because of sin. It's because of breaking his covenant. It's because of twisting his instructions. It's because of violating his laws. The world is broken. About 10, 15 years ago as a teenager, never once would I have ever imagined uh, having a service called Uber where I can get into the car and I can instruct elderly men what to do, where to go, and when I'm irritated with them, I tell them, I paid you for this. We live in that world when our teenagers can do that to elderly people, and now we need to raise them in that world. We need to teach them how to uh, honor elders in that world. It is a broken world. It is not ideal. It is not perfect. But God will train you to be a parent, train you to be a mother in this broken world. Two things that we need to do in this broken world. Two things that mothers keep doing in this broken world for us. One, mothers don't give up. They don't give up. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8 to 9 says this. Perfect scripture for parenting. Here it is. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Ever feel like you're living against the tide? where everything seems to be happening to you. Your whole life seems to be pressing against a tide that's, press, that's pushing against you. Well, the Bible says you won't be destroyed. You won't be dismayed. You will not be crushed. In the midst of that tide, you will arise above the tide. I thank God for the mothers who have risen above the tide that keeps pushing against you, keeps telling you that you're not enough, but you keep pressing in because you are dedicated to God's purposes and to your children. Uh, Hagar, in this place of brokenness, decides she's tired of being mistreated, tired of the current that keeps coming against her. So she decides in Genesis 16 that she's going to run to the desert. When she gets to the desert, pregnant with Ishmael, uh, the angel of the Lord comes to her and says, where have you come from and where are you going? And then the angel of the Lord says, you need to go back because this son is going to be a great nation. You need to go, you can't run from the broken world. You can't try and create a utopia where nothing ever goes wrong. No, you need to go back with your child and in that place, train him, raise him up to be a great nation. 
Second thing that mothers do in a broken world, not only do they not give up, but they don't give in. They don't give in. This is not in the PowerPoints, but Proverbs 31 verse 4. Uh, this is the, the godly mother now. This is the mother of the king. And she is speaking to the king, telling his son how he needs to live his life. And in verse 4, he says, it is not for kings, my son. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of, the, of their rights. What is he saying? What is she saying? She's not trying to create a law around alcohol. What she's ultimately saying is, you, my son, need to live differently from everybody else because you're a king. Oh, parents do not give in. They, they keep the standard on your identity. They let you know that the reason why you can't do A is because you are this kind of person. You are a king. You are a queen. They don't drop the standard based on culture. They keep the standard high so that you would live up to your truest identity. The world cannot give you an identity. It can give you mirrors of identity, but only God can give you your truest identity. I want to thank the mothers here who keep on pressing, who never give up and who never give in. And you keep reminding us who we are. You keep bringing us into a place where we are raised, even though our circumstances might not be great, we are raised to become all that God has called us to be. I think some of us tonight need to forgive our parents I really do. Some of you need to forgive your moms. And the reason why you need to forgive your moms is that they are broken trying to parent you in a broken world. And they did the best that they could with all that they had and all that they knew. And it's easy on this side to blame them for everything that they missed. But trust me, when you hold a baby in your child, the inadequacy that comes to your soul of realizing you don't have what it takes to let this child live long enough for tomorrow, that you are desperate for God to help you, desperate for God to teach you. Some of us today need to say, you know what? She did the best that she could, and I'm thankful that I had a mother. Second thing, Hagar is trained to be a mother in the lonely desert, in the lonely desert. Genesis 16 and Genesis 21 are the two chapters that speak about Hagar and Ishmael. And if you read them in detail, you realize it's the same flow in each chapter. It starts off by talking about the chaos in the home. Then the next part for both of the chapters, it talks about the desert, how she went to the desert and what happened in the desert. And then the last part, it talks about her experience with the Lord by a well or uh, she ended up seeing a well. That's the progression of both chapters. In this particular moment, the first time she went to the desert because of her pain. Because she was being mistreated. She went to the desert. When she gets to the desert, the, the, the angel of the Lord asks her a question, gives her instruction, and gives her a promise, and she goes back. Second time in Genesis 21, she comes into the desert because of, his, because of her son. 
Her son was laughing at Isaac, and there's a play of words here. The word Isaac means the one, the one who laughs, and Ishmael was laughing at Isaac. And so she, he gets kicked out by Sarah, gets into the desert, and when she gets to the desert for the second time, the angel of the Lord asks her a question, gives her an instruction, and gives her a promise. And in this moment, she says, what's wrong, Hagar? Why, why, why are you here? And her child is about to die. She's put her child under a bush so she can't see the fact that her child is dying. Listen, parents, sometimes you will come into the wilderness because of the stuff you're going through. But other times, you'll come into the desert. You'll come into the wilderness because of the things that your kids are going through. Because they're in so much pain, they've been bullied, they've been rejected. They don't know how to handle the situations of their life. And all of a sudden, you are pulled into the desert because your child needs you. That's what mothers do. They won't stay in the lofty place. They will come to the desert to be with their children. Because they don't want the promise to die in the desert. So here she is pulled into the desert because of her child's suffering. Here's another interesting thing. Abraham, who's one of the wealthiest people at the time, living in Santon or Haunted or Soweto, he sends Ishmael and Hagar off, one of the wealthiest people, with a little bit of food and some water. How is this possible? Why is this the case? Wealthiest man. He could have given them whatever they wanted, a calvary of support. Gives them a little bit of food and some water. Abraham loved Ishmael. Loved him. To the point where God had to speak to him to let him go. I believe Abraham gave them that because deep down inside he was longing, thinking that out of desperation they were going to come back home. So he gave them a little and probably stayed up the whole night waiting, hoping that Ishmael would come back with Hagar, but she didn't. But, but here is the underlying powerful part, part in this point. God tells Abraham, let them go. He gives them barely nothing to survive on. But here's what the Lord begins to teach Hagar in the desert. I will father your child. No matter what he has been given or not been given by his father, no matter what he has been given or not been given by you, I will father him. Some of you are still holding the offense of what your parents didn't give you whilst the Lord is knocking at the door of your heart saying, I will father you. I totally get that they messed it up. I totally get that they missed it, but I want to father you. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 7 says this, how we ought to live, how we can thrive in the desert. Here's what it says, and our hope for you is firm because we know the only way you can thrive in the desert is through hope. That's the only way you can live. When you get to the wilderness, the only way to thrive, the only way to survive, the only way to make it through to where God wants to take you is if you have hope. And right here in this text, it tells us how you can strengthen your hope. You strengthen your hope by what you know. 
What is it that you know about the character of God? What is it that you know about the promises of God, the nature of God, all that God has given you? What do you know about him? Because what you know about him will strengthen your hope in the place of your wilderness. Hebrews 13, 5 to 6 echoes the same uh, uh, sentiment. For God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. This is what I know about God. Now, because of what I know about God, I can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Based on what I know, I now can declare because I know who he says he is. I can stand with a firm hope in my soul because I know who he is. One of my friends, I don't know if he's here tonight, but he comes to this church. Um, I was sitting down with him a few weeks ago and asking him about his life, his family. He told me that his uh, mom passed away when he was about 15, so 16. I, I went on uh, to ask him, how did your mom pass away? And he, he, he said to me that his mom was murdered by her boyfriend. Uh, he cut her up, put her in a bag, threw it in the river. <clears throat> the guy, the boyfriend who cut up the mom, had an accomplice. The guy who cut up the mom got a jail sentence of about 20 years, and the accomplice got away free. Nothing. And every time this guy, every time my friend goes home to go see his family, he always sees the guy who helped the other one cut his mom up. So I said to him, how, how are you sane? How, how are you okay? Listen, we live in a broken world. How on earth are you sane? Never forget what he said. He said, Siv, the reason why I'm saying is because I'm convinced that God loves me and that God is with me. You see, you don't need a great explanation for your great pain. What you need is a great God and his great presence to come into your life, into the most painful parts of your life that you can't figure out for the life of you how you're going to fix the brokenness and the pain in your own soul. There is no amount of explanation that can explain away the pain of the human heart. What you need is a God who loves you enough and who is present enough. And right now in this moment, Hagar is in pain watching her son die in front of her eyes. And in the midst of all of that, God tells her, you better pick up your boy, take him by the hand and go. Why? Because I made him, I'll make him a great nation. You see, the power of promises, when someone gives you a promise, it's why uh, Prophet Greg here, Prophet Ndando, and, and, and a whole bunch of people uh, are always prophesying over people. The, the key to why it's important that you're reading this word, uh, by which I don't know how I would have lived my life. I have no idea how I would have done life without the words from this book. The, the reason why you need the promises of God is because God... It, 
lives in your future, steps in your present, and tells you, this is where you need to go. This is the direction you need to go. And so whenever a promise comes to you, it gives you the wisdom for the now. Are you confused about what you need to do now? Look towards the promises that he's given you. In the promises, he begins to expand and give you the kind of wisdom that will help you understand how you need to wait, how you need to decide, how you need to move, who you need to speak to, what you need to do, but you need the promise to anchor you in the right direction. Oh, this is why you need to read this book every single day, not every week, not every month. This is why you need to get into this book every single day because in this book lies the compass for your life, compass for your soul, compass for your purpose. There is no other promise that can see your future and tell you what to do now. Nothing. No other book. Only the Word of God. So I want to thank the mothers for holding on to the promise, seeing the promise, and allowing the promise to grip you so much that you are able to pick us up when we are down, able to see what God wants to do in our lives when we can't see it ourselves. Drowning in our own pain, you have held on to the promise and you pick us up from the mire clay. We thank you for doing that. Lastly, Hagar gets taught to be a mother by the well of God's presence. Chapter 16, right at the end of chapter 16, Hagar is in the desert and just before she goes back home in chapter 16, she says this about God. She says, you are the one who sees me. Now this is significant because Hagar would have grown up in Egypt and what she would have understood about gods is that gods or idols were, were handmade things that she could see. But this is the first time that she was being seen by a god. You see, you, have, you might have idols in your life, things that you keep looking to because they're physical. You can see them every single day of your life and you keep looking to them to give you the answer. But none of those things see you. None of those things see your hurt. None of those things see your situations. None of those things see your dreams. It is only the God of heaven who is able to see you where you are. The cry of Hagar's heart was to be seen. And here she is, she says in chapter 16, you are the God who sees. And, and they named the well that she was standing next to the well of the one who sees. That's chapter 16. Chapter 21, she has a similar experience. This time, just before she leaves the desert, the God who sees opens her eyes to see. Opens her eyes to see the provision that she needed for her child. You see, in chapter 16, when God rocked up, he comforted her by the well. But this time, in chapter 21, when God rocked up, he allowed her to see the provision that she needed to raise her child. The provision that she needed to, to, to give her child sustenance. You see, it is impossible to parent without the presence of God. You have to find your way to the well of God's presence if you're going to raise your children. You really do. Because it's in that place that he gives you refreshing, he gives you comfort. But it's also in that place that he opens your eyes to the provision that he has given you for what he has called you to do. 
2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, one of my favorite texts, says this. So all of us who have had uh, that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. In other words, when we behold God, we become like him. And what we ultimately need in order to do what we are called to do is that we need to behold so that we might be transformed. And in us being transformed, we are empowered to do what God has called us to do. Or the discipline of mothers is to behold the face. To know where your help comes from. Behold the face of the Lord. I want to thank you, mothers, for for living before the presence. Living before the presence. Hearing his words. Seeing his face. Because when you did that, he gave you the empowerment to raise us up in this world. I want to end differently today. Uh, I want to do two things. First, I want to pray for the moms uh, in this place. Now, some of you are not going to want to stand. So I'm asking you now to stand um, (coughs) in advance. Uh, And here's the people I really want us to pray for. If you're a mom here in the natural, or you've adopted, or you're a mom in the spiritual, uh, you're mentoring people, you are uh, empowering and walking with people, and they're looking to you to help them grow and develop, or you have had to take care of members of your family. You know, money is coming out of your account so that someone younger than you can go to school. You need to stand. Or your mother and you lost your child for, for whatever reason and it was painful and, and, and today you kind of feel invalidated in this whole uh, celebration. You are a mother. You need to stand. And so if you're here today and you're a mother, we want to pray for you. We want to bless you. Could you stand all those who fall in those categories? And we want to uh, thank you and uh, uh, give you a shout. Let's, Let's thank them as they stand. Let's give them a hand. Come on now. Come on, let's do better than that. Yeah. Come on. If you are wondering, yeah, come on. Come on. I'm going to ask Garabo if he can come up and just play uh, for a moment while that child cries. Um, <clears throat> uh, if you are wondering whether you should stand up or not, most likely you need to stand up right now. So, um, we're going to pray for you, and while I pray for you, we have a gift that we want to give you. Our ushers have a gift uh, for you for Mother's Day. We were going to give you chocolates. We realized many of you are on a diet, so we, we bought you. We gave you one of those scrubbing things, hand scrubs, feet scrubs, so that you might walk with the Lord and bless with your hands. So this, this is for you. This is, a, this is a great gift for you as mothers. And, and while they pass it around, I want to pray for you. And after that, please remain standing. Don't sit down. Father, thank you. Uh, Everybody else who's sitting down, if you don't mind just extending out your hands right now. Father, thank you for these great women. 
We, we thank you for them. We bless them in Jesus' mighty name right now. Lord, we pray for an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to come upon them in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we pray right now that in this broken world that you would raise them up, you would build them up, you would fill them up with your glory. Lord, we pray that in their lonely deserts that they would find you, they would see you, they would feel your presence, know your promises in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we pray that in the midst of them coming into contact with the well of your presence, they would be transformed, changed from the inside out. We speak an empowerment over their lives. We speak a blessing over their lives. And Lord, we thank you for them. Thank you for who they are and what you have called them to do in this city, in this church, in this nation, in their homes for your kingdom's sake. And all of God's people said, amen. Stay standing, moms, as long as you're going to stand. One more thing, this entire week praying towards this sermon, I prayed more about what we are about to do now than anything else. I really feel like what we are going to do now is is critical, it's vital. Here's what I want us to do. We we live in a world where so many women have been raped, so many women have had a sense of power stolen from them, taken from them, abruptly, violently, abused in homes, abused and maligned in the workplace. That though you might be a CEO of a company, people still ask you to go get the tea. That you live in a place where everybody keeps looking down upon you and every single thing around you keeps telling you that men are not good enough. Tonight, what we need as men is your blessing over our lives. What we need is a touch from mothers telling us as men that we are enough for this world and we need your blessing because you have something that only God can give you that we are desperately in need for as you lay hands on men this evening not only are you going to feel God speaking to your own soul about who you are in this broken world not only are you going to feel his presence touching you as mothers allowing you to realize who you are in this world but there is going to be a restoring of sons to mothers tonight there's going to be a healing of men who are broken not because of their fathers but are broken because their mother never told them things that they wanted to hear because their mothers never blessed them today we're going to change that today we're going to create a bridge in a moment trusting that God will do what only God can do and allow hearts to be healed and hearts to be transformed So I want to ask these wonderful women who are standing up, if you wouldn't mind joining me right now uh, here in the front. And we're going to lay hands on men. And and so if you wouldn't mind just joining me up here. uh, Straight after you pray for the men, those of you who are still in 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 the congregation and you want prayer, maybe some of you want prayer because of wounds that you had through parenting wounds that you had because of your mom or because of your father and you just want someone to pray for you uh, can you come up after the men receive prayer I want to ask you to come up after that Um, and I I put up these blessings to help you uh, uh, mothers to know how to pray today and give me that next slide Um, and really just praying over the men and I put up these blessings for you I bless you in your home 
I bless you in your workplace. I bless you as a man, husband, father, brother, and a son. I bless your coming in, and I bless your going out. Oh, man, do men need blessings from women of God. We've been longing for it. All has failed to ask for it. Somehow we thought we could do it all on our own, but we realize we can't. We need you to be strong, you to be mighty, you to be powerful, you to be you. May God give us the grace to live in, in a kind of way that you are honored, we are honored, but together we honor the King of Kings so that glory might come to his name. So, men, this is a good moment. Stand up from your chairs, come down to the front, and ask to receive prayer. Amen and amen.